Good evening, everyone. So good to have you with us tonight. I'd like to ask you all to uh, please keep Pastor James in prayer. Uh, he's been going through some uh, medical issues and uh, uh, taking a little bit of time off to uh, take care of those. So we would just ask you to, to pray for him. We'll pray for him here in just a moment. And uh, then I also want to remind you, <clears throat> excuse me, also want to remind you about the uh, conference, White as a Gate uh, conference, uh, Standing Fast in the Last Days, uh, which is coming up in November. I'm hoping that we can, this week, nail down a little bit of the times, and a little bit of the schedule, uh, so that uh, you'll have a, an idea. Very uh, simply, uh, we are going to have uh, two sessions on Friday the 8th of November, uh, starting at 7. Uh, we'll have two sessions on Friday night, and then on Saturday the 9th we'll have two sessions uh, in the morning. We'll probably start at 9 o'clock, and then uh, to take a lunch break and then get back and do two sessions in the afternoon. And then one of the sessions will actually be one of the speakers at the 5.30 service. So in reality, if you wanted to hear all of the sessions, you can come on Saturday night at 5.30 and then stay for the two services because we're going to break up each of the morning services into sessions as well to, to get, get, get as much information and, and much of this, uh, this particular conference out to everyone. And so the regular services on Sunday the 10th, but then at, in the evening we're going to probably have about a five, five o'clock start to have uh, two good sessions plus a question and answer uh, panel discussion. So that's kind of the rundown of, of the conference in November. And, uh, you know, I, it sounds like it's a long way. It's not a long way away. It's just a couple of weeks, actually. So we just need you to keep praying. Uh, for this and uh, ask the Lord really for your own heart what participation that you'll be uh, taking in all of it so I know that some of you have to work on certain days that's fine it will be recorded but uh, it's always best you know to catch it live and then of course there's going to be a lot of uh, stuff available uh, all the speakers have books and There'll be some DVDs available of, of the White is the Gate series uh, dealing with the emerging new Christianity. And uh, I started this past uh, Sunday, Saturday night and Sunday, talking a little bit about the issues that we're going to be bringing up in the conference, uh, dealing primarily with the, the emerging church. But uh, we laid a foundation, if you weren't here this weekend, laid a foundation on the need for us as believers in Jesus Christ to be defenders of the faith as well as contenders for the faith. So uh, you need to get the CD if you didn't get it, but uh, uh, this next week we're going to be a little bit more specific on some of the issues uh, dealing with the New Age movement as well as the emerging church that's infiltrated the, the, the body of Christ today. So with all that in mind, I just ask you to, to keep all of that in prayer. So before we get, begin, let's, let's go to the Lord in prayer this evening, and, and then we'll uh, be able to pray as well for uh, Pastor James and others who 
you may have on your heart that need uh, healing and prayer for other things. Our Father, we thank you this evening for the privilege of gathering once again in the name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. I'm blessed, Lord God, to know that uh, each and every day you have a word for us. You have, Lord, a message for us individually as well as corporately that we can, Lord, take from your word and build upon in our lives so that we can be used of you in these last days. I ask you, Father, to give us wisdom tonight as we study the book of Revelation, especially as we enter into this new chapter, chapter 13, and deal with the issues of the revealing of, of the Antichrist and all. And we need, Lord God, your wisdom and your grace and your spirit as well to gain understanding uh, as we look at the days in which we live. We want to lift up Pastor James to you tonight and ask you, Lord, to touch his body and, and heal him, Lord God, of the issues that he's dealing with tonight. We ask that you give him uh, uh, the blessing of rest and and encouragement, Father, be with Betty as well, and and, uh, and just uh, strengthen them together tonight in, in your love and grace. We pray for others, Lord, tonight that we all have in our hearts for those that are struggling, suffering through many hardships, both physical and, and emotional, and as well as, as other things. And we just want to lay these burdens down before you. We realize, Lord God, that even we ourselves, as humans, Lord God, we... We suffer and we, we, we understand what it means to hurt, to be broken. But uh, we're thankful that you came to heal the brokenhearted. And so, Father, we ask for that healing tonight for each and every one. Anoint us with your spirit that we may understand truly your word. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Please turn to Revelation chapter 13. As you're turning there, I want to share a thought with you all that, that came to me this week. And it was a real encouragement, even though when I was praying about some issues, I began to realize how uh, hard it is sometimes for us to understand the necessity of studying the Word of God day in and day out when we come here. Um, some people actually will say, well, you know, after a while it gets boring. And I'm thinking, I don't know what you're listening to, but I, I suppose we better check our heart about it because there's nothing in the Word of God that's boring to me. I, I do want us to understand one thing, that... I don't like teaching the, the Word of God as if to say, I just want you all to grasp the academic stuff or, you know, just, just get to all the information and just, we just dump out the information and take what you want or take. And I, and I started thinking how, as we are gathered here tonight, as we study God's Word, we're never to study God's Word as if he is not in the room. He's here with us. 
And the one that we're speaking about and, uh, is, is, is present. So understand that when we teach the Word of God here, we're, we're not doing it as if He's not in the room, you know. No, He's here. I think that makes a difference for me as a teacher. And it needs to become a difference for you as a student of the Word of God. So, with that in mind, we're coming to a very crucial chapter. As a matter of fact, I think there have been 12 crucial chapters before this. But it's even more crucial tonight. Because it just continues to build our understanding of the days in which we live and the days that are about to happen. You know, the the theme of of, uh, the Antichrist, it's been taught a lot uh, for many years. And let's say over the last 50, 60 years or so, in dealing with the rebirth of the nation of Israel and and uh, this tremendous interest in, 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 in Bible prophecy has, has, has really blossomed over those many years. There's always been that question, oh, who's the Antichrist? And we started applying names to so many people. As a matter of fact, I think that every modern U.S. president has been called an Antichrist at one time or another. No matter what party they've been in. And just about every pope has been called an Antichrist. And so there's all these, these things going around. Well, this is the Antichrist, and that's the Antichrist. And who, you know, and he's got to come out of this nation. He's going to come out of Rome, or he's going to come out of Europe, or he's going to come out of Greece. And, and, and you know, we say, and, and then for a time, we, we, we had the reason to kind of believe that. Because back in the 60s and 70s, you know, when Israel was fighting its wars against the Arab nations and and Russia was still the, the Soviet Union, and, you know, they were uh, the ones kind of being looked at as the, the, the northern bear that was going to come down and attack Israel based on Ezekiel and other passages and, and, and all that. Uh, we started saying, well, well, what about those ten nations that it talks about, which we're going to get close to talking about pretty soon, and then we're going to see some beasts in our chapter uh, here tonight, just kind of read about it, but we're going to study them a little bit more in depth later. Uh, but we start applying and saying, well, you know, there has to be Europe, you know, it's a revived Roman Empire and blah, 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 and this and that. And, and I'm thinking, yeah, well, back then maybe, but then everything's changed. And so we have to kind of be flexible with the things uh, that are prophetic And there's been one issue that has changed a lot of the perspective. And that is the rise over the last few years of the geopolitical religious philosophy known as Islam. That has changed a lot of how we have to view Scripture tonight and in the last few years. And I can tell you this, that on 9-11 of 2001, that seemed like the book just opened up and the floodgate opened up. 
even though Islam has been spreading. Some people would have, would have said that maybe in, in the last 40 years, uh, you know, somewhat, somewhat harmlessly, with, but it's not harmless. It was never intended to be harmless. What is considered or called, what used to be called the, Ro, uh, the revived Roman Empire is overrun with Islam. The attempts in our nation are visible. And we're going to see in this particular chapter, not so much tonight, but in the next few weeks, as we go through chapter 13, we'll see a few things tonight, and I'll I'll briefly mention them. But we're going to see that that area known as the Middle East that surrounds uh, the Mediterranean Sea, that all together is the epicenter of all the activity that we're going to be seeing. And the great Antichrist spirit, though it is found in so many different places, it's even found within the church with various non-Christian cults or pseudo-Christian cults. The most anti-Christian of them all is Islam. You will see that as we go through the Word from here on. We've mentioned it, we've talked a little bit about it, But now we're going to be seeing it a little bit more drastically. There was a war in heaven, and Satan was cast out. No longer to be before the throne accusing the brethren, because the majority of the brethren are already in heaven. But now he's cast to the earth. And with that in mind, think of verse 1. As we continue, then I stood on the sand of the sea, and I'm going to talk about who's standing on the sand of the sea in just a moment. Some of your translations may say, he, so we'll, we'll kind of work that through here in a minute. Then I stood on the sand of the sea, and I saw a beast rising up out of the sea having seven heads and ten horns, and on his horns ten crowns, and on his heads a blasphemous name. And now the beast which I saw was like a leopard. His feet were like the feet of a bear, his mouth like the mouth of a lion. The dragon gave him his power, his throne, and great authority. And I saw one of his heads as if it had been mortally wounded, And his deadly wound was healed. And all the world marveled and followed the beast. So they worshipped the dragon who gave authority to the beast. And they worshipped the beast saying, who is like the beast? Who is able to make war with him? That's just another artist's conception that I found that 
you know. There's that dragon with the seven heads. Somebody once said seven heads are better than one, I suppose. And, uh, and all. And then the beast over there in the top right corner is kind of coming out of the sea and all the people are beginning to worship that. Okay. So, just a picture. Most of you have probably never heard of a man named Paul Henri Charles Spock. Not, no relation to Mr. Spock from Star Trek. His name is spelled a little differently. S-P-A-A-K. It's, he's Belgian, or was Belgian. He was the Prime Minister of Belgium from 1938 to 1939, then came back in 46 and 47 to be Prime Minister again. And he was credited with making this particular statement to certain news sources. And I did my best to make sure that it was indeed not a statement just made. And uh, what I noticed is it was a statement made, but it was heard differently. So I'm just going to give you one version, but it's all the same, really. And this is what he said. He said, the truth is that the method of international committees has failed. He was very involved in, in those years, especially in the 40s and 50s, when the United Nations started falling into place and all. So he said, the truth is that the method of international com- committees has failed. What we need is a person. What we need is a person, someone of the highest order and of great energy. Let him come and let him come quickly. Either a civilian or a military man, no matter what his nationality, who will cut all the red tape, shove out of, uh, out of the way all the committees, wake up all the people and galvanize all governments into action. Let him come quickly. This man we need and from whom we wait will take charge of the defense of the West. Once more I say it is not too late, but it is high time. Another part of the quote that some people said he said was that it doesn't matter whether he's a god or a devil, we just need him to come quickly. So this statement, though quoted differently from diverse sources, is a reminder that the world is desperately looking and searching for someone to rise up and solve all of its problems. They have rejected practically wholesale, and I speak of the world. They have rejected practically wholesale the Prince of Peace, Jesus Christ, and with no hesitation when the time comes, immediately they will embrace the person we will be introduced to today. That is the Antichrist, as we sometimes have uh, call him. He's not called that, by the way, in the book of Revelation. But he is called the beast. And that person is mentioned here today. I can tell you that he will be no man of peace. And his true colors will come shining through as he gets the world to bow down and worship him. Now you have to understand something. We've already talked a a bit and we're going to come back to some of these scriptures again. But we've talked about Lucifer in Isaiah 14. We've talked about his desire to be worshipped. His desire to sit on the highest throne. 
would not his protege, as it were, have the same desire? We're going to learn that as we, as, as we see the connection between Satan or the dragon and the beast, that they are compounding this idea of, of a counterfeit to God the Father and God the Son. God the Father says that the Son, who is the Messiah will come and he will sit on the throne of David and he will be the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And of course the Father is the Father and he's already on the throne. But the enemy will have the same kind of desire in the sense, but of course it's a perverted desire because they weren't created for that, especially Satan. And we'll see that tonight. So the power behind this man that we're going to be introduced to is Satan himself. And let me remind you of this once angelic being who fell from uh, before the throne of God and his connection then to the seed of the woman, the Messiah. There is connection, we know. And from the beginning to the very nearly to the very end. So we're going to see the connection again from the beginning to the end. And, and, and we have to do that because we have to remember of the consistency of the scriptures and how it stays consistent from Genesis to Revelation. So let's go to Isaiah 14, if you will. I know that we've gone over it before, but this is just a point of review. And it says, How you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. Lucifer meaning light bearer. How you were cut down to the ground, you who weakened the nations. Notice what this Lucifer has done. He has weakened the nations. Where did he weaken the nations? Genesis chapter 3. For you have said in, in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. The five I wills of Lucifer. Lucifer or Satan's desire is to be like God and to be worshipped like God. That is his desire. But the major problem with that is that he is not God. There can be no competition for another God. That is why it is so strange today for anyone to say that, uh, as we heard back uh, 12 years ago after 9-11 and, and the tragedy of, of the Twin Towers being brought down, because we were trying to be diplomatic and statesmanlike, we said we're not, uh, you know, we're not against the, you know, Islamic people because, you know, uh, we worship the same God, just in a different way. Well, I have to tell you, it's not the same God. There's only one God. And their God is not Him. Allah is just a God out of a, of a few other gods that uh, 
the desert peoples of the time were worshiping and Allah just seemed to have won out. Uh, that's for another time. But Satan is a created being. I want you to keep your finger here. We have to come back. But now go to Ezekiel chapter 28. Turn to Ezekiel chapter 28 verses 13 through 15. Whoops, I forgot to put that there for you. But you had it in your Bibles. Okay, Ezekiel 28 verse 13. There's two slides here for us on this verse. You were in Eden. Where is Eden? That's the garden, isn't it? You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering. The sardius, topaz, and diamond, beryl, onyx, and jasper, sapphire, turquoise, and emerald with gold. This is what this particular being was clothed in. The workmanship of your timbrels and pipes was prepared for you on the day you were created. Notice, he's a created being. And he had the task, as it were, or the responsibility, as it were, of leading the worship of the angels in heaven. That's implied here by the statements, the workmanship of your timbrels and pipes. These were musical instruments. Far beyond what we could ever understand as musical instruments in heaven. But there were there, timbrels and pipes, and, and they were prepared for him on the day he was created. And then it says, you were the anointed cherub who covers... Which again gives us an indication that this particular angel was in charge of the worship in heaven. God says to him, I established you. You were on the holy mountain of God. You walked back and forth in the midst of fiery stones. And it says you were perfect in your ways from the day you were created till... Iniquity was found in you. And it's Isaiah chapter 14 that shows us what that iniquity was. I will ascend unto the Most High. So Satan is a counterfeit. And God, and, and John, I should say, the Apostle John was very clear about that in his description given back in chapter 12, verse 9. So now let's go back to Revelation and look at uh, chapter 12, verse 9. Because notice what he says. So the great dragon was cast out because of that sin and that serpent of old called the devil and Satan who deceives the whole world. He was cast to the earth and his angels were cast out with him. He deceives the whole world. How was he deceiving the whole world? By getting the world to take their eyes off of the true Creator, out of, off of the true Savior, off the true Redeemer, to place it upon Himself eventually. Eventually. Because the word deceives here in Revelation 12 verse 9, in the Greek language is the word planao, which means the misleading of another, causing someone to wander or to err from the truth. Causing someone to err from the truth. 
That certainly is what the devil has done. That certainly is what the devil does. And when the Apostle Paul dealt with false apostles in his time, he wrote to the church in Corinth these words. He said in 2 Corinthians 11 verses 13 to 15, he says, For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into apostles of Christ. In other words, counterfeit apostles. And no wonder, notice what he says, for Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. Looks good. Bright enough. Probably smells okay. But he's not okay. In verse 15 it says, Therefore it is no great thing if if his ministers, the demons... If his ministers also transform themselves into ministers of righteousness, whose end will be according to their works. Now, his ministers is not just demons. It's also going to be the Antichrist. And it's going to be really, in general, anybody who turns away from the person and work of Jesus Christ. Anybody who turns themselves away from God. And puts on the facade of righteousness. People today, in churches today, they'll put on robes and stand in front of people, but they do not believe the Word of God. They do not believe that Jesus uh, was born of a virgin. They do not believe that Jesus rose from the dead, that He even died on the cross, some of them. But they wear their robes. And they believe all kinds of stuff. That is not biblical. That is not righteous. And they'll be the ones who push for things that are against Scripture, like same-sex marriage and all kinds of other issues. They'll do that. But they do it under the guise of righteousness. But I can tell you this, robes ain't righteous. I know that's bad English. So when we get back to Isaiah 14, I guess you've already figured out this is the introduction of chapter 13, right? Okay. A lot of introductions going on, but that's okay. When we get back to Isaiah 14 to wrap this thought, I want you to consider that boast, the I wills of Lucifer, which we previously read, certainly points to Satan and symbolically, by the way, in context, it symbolically re, uh, represents the king of Babylon, which, let me just interject here, is going to be another name for the Antichrist. And we'll see that later. And it's also in this chapter, Isaiah 14, this king of Babylon is also called the Assyrian. The Assyrian. And, you know, you'll see that in chapter 14 of Isaiah. By the way, that's another name for the Antichrist. And isn't it interesting that he is called those names, King of Babylon and the Assyrian, because that gives us a little bit of an indication of where he's going to come from. All right, keep that in mind. So, notice if you will in verse 16 now of Isaiah 14, it says, Those who see you will gaze at you 
and consider you saying, is this the man who made the earth tremble, who shook kingdoms, who made the world as a wilderness and destroyed its cities, who did not open the house of his prisoners? Now here's the thing that we need to ask. When was Lucifer a man? This is not a test. I just want you to think about the question. When was Lucifer a man? All right, now, here's a little help. Remember that as we talk about symbolism in the scriptures, that in symbolism it is, it is pointing to uh, various types of types. You know, there are types of, of Christ here and there and whatnot. There's also types of Satan in people. Nebuchadnezzar serves as a type of the Antichrist. Sennacherib serves as a type of the Antichrist, the Assyrian, right? And what is Antichrist going to be called? The Assyrian. So there, we have to kind of get a little handle on this. Because it is debatable or arguable that Satan, down through the ages, has indeed manifested himself... Some would call it like demon possession or, or demonic possession or satanic possession, as in this case, uh, some would consider. But he has indeed manifested himself in people like Haman. How many remember where Haman's found? Book of Esther. That's right. He was a forerunner to, to Hitler, actually, and to the Antichrist. But Haman, uh, Nebuchadnezzar, Sennacherib I mentioned already. And what about Hitler himself? Who many people, I tell you, I, I, I've done over many years a, a, a lot of research on Hitler as a forerunner to Antichrist. And here was a person, after seeing hours of tapes and hours of, of, of the documentaries that involved this person named Adolf Hitler... This, this man was possessed, but he was a man, you see. So when was Lucifer a man? Well, the question is, 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 is begging us to consider the types that Satan has become of, of Antichrist, or vice versa, you know, Antichrist has become as a type of, of Satan, I should say. And eventually, of course, Antichrist himself. So in this new chapter of Revelation that we'll be studying, our focus will be on the second person of what we can call the unholy trinity. The second person of what we can call the unholy trinity. That is the Antichrist, that is the beast. The first person, of course, being Satan. Satan who wants to be like God. Can never be like God because he, he's a creative being. But, you know, he considers himself to be the one to be worshipped. Therefore, the beast comes and he becomes, uh, he takes that kind of that role of, of the second person of the unholy trinity. So later on, we're going to meet the false prophet who corresponds in contrast then to the Holy Spirit as well. So notice how Satan uses counterfeits. Okay. Now, the contrasts are indeed striking because the first mention of the Antichrist can be found actually in Genesis chapter 3. Verse 15. 
The first mention of Antichrist. So go back to Genesis 3.15. I tell you, we don't get enough of Genesis 3.15, do we? I mean, we did that on Sunday and Saturday. And, and of course, we did it a long time ago. And throughout our study of the book of Genesis, we keep coming back to it. It is a very important root verse and key verse to all the scriptures. Why? Because it gives the promise of the Messiah. But as we'll see here tonight... It also lets us know that there's an Antichrist coming. It says, and I will put enmity. Remember, God is speaking to the serpent. I will put enmity or hostility between you and the woman. And between your seed and her seed. Her seed is Jesus. Your seed, speaking to Satan or the serpent is Antichrist. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel, but, but that's, that's spoken directly to, to, to the serpent. But it says that between your seed and her seed, Satan has a seed. And that seed can be called the seed of the serpent. And just as Jesus Christ is the promised offspring of the woman... The Antichrist is the promised offspring of the serpent. So this is more sure evidence of Satan counterfeiting the work of God. I mean, he's been trying this plan for almost 6,000 years. And as already mentioned, throughout history, there has been many a vile and wicked man that might have, been, might have even been called the Antichrist in their time. Again, men like Judas Iscariot, people have called him Antichrist. There's a good reason because one of the names applied to Antichrist in the scriptures was a name that was applied to Judas as well. It's called the, the man of perdition or the son of perdition. Um, Yeah, I'm hearing pops. I don't know what they are. I think it must be um, fireworks, maybe. Is there like a, a, a homecoming or something over here? Probably. Y'all are looking at me. You're as confused as I am. Okay. As long as they're not popping in here, we're okay. All right. So men like Judas Iscariot, Nero, or Nero, the the Caesar of the time when the Christians were were being slaughtered. Uh, Mussolini was considered an antichrist. Hitler, of course, Stalin, of course, and others. But none of them will even compare, you see, to the evil that will emanate from this man that we call the antichrist who is called the beast in chapter 13. Now, what is important to note is that the antichrist has been preceded by the spirit of antichrist. The Antichrist has been preceded by the spirit of Antichrist. In other words, the spirit of Antichrist has been around for a good long while. As a matter of fact, uh, the Apostle John noted quite strongly in two of his letters, 1 John and 2 John. In 1 John 2, verse 18, he said, Little children, it is the last hour. Now, that's about 2,000 years ago. That's why we have to be ready, because, you know, even John in his time believed it was the last hour. And he said, it is the last hour, and as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, and he's speaking of this Antichrist, 
Even now many antichrists have come, by which we know that it is the last hour. There is so much of the spirit of antichrist in John's time. And who did he have to, to look at? He had the Romans, and he had all of the Gentiles that were actually lined up with the Romans. And this is going to be another part of history that a lot of people don't realize, is that when the Romans went out and started doing things like, for example, AD 70, destroying the city of Jerusalem, we would all think that they were all from Rome. Because we call it, the, you know, this Roman invasion led by Titus. Do you know that the majority of the people that were destroying Jerusalem were actually Syrians? And other groups from the Arab nations that they had recruited? Because remember the Roman Empire was the whole world at the time. This is the reason why I don't think it, you know, Europe is going to, you know... There's some connection to it. We'll talk about it. But the nations around Israel are the nations that were supplying the people that were destroying Jerusalem. And who would that be? The very ones that are surrounding Israel today and wanting to destroy the Jews. Keep that in mind. All right, so where are we? All right, let's go on to 1 John 2, 22. He said, Who is a liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? He is Antichrist who denies the Father and the Son. There are a lot of groups that do that. The main one is Islam. We'll talk about that another time. 1 John 4 verse 3, And every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of the Antichrist which you have heard was coming and is now already in the world. In other words, that the Messiah, remember that the issue is that Jesus is Messiah who came in the flesh, but people don't want to believe that he's the Messiah. This even applies to the Jewish people who have disregarded Jesus as their Messiah. And then in Second John, verse 7, it says, For many deceivers have gone out into the world, who do not confess Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh. This is a deceiver and an antichrist. So the, the spirit of antichrist has been around a long time. But how much more today are we seeing the spirit of antichrist in every aspect of, 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 of culture and society here, because this is where we live and we see it. And then if you look globally, it's even worse. And Christians really are facing a lot of persecution all over the world. And we're not doing a whole lot about that. I say that as a government, as a nation of people that is made up of primarily, I mean, a lot of Christians... But for some reason, even our administration will not. I mean, it just kind of turns its head, you know, because there are people coming to our, uh, to, even to our president to tell them, we, you know, somebody needs to take a stand against the way that they're killing Christians today. We don't hear much about it. So this is indeed one of the great challenges for the body of Christ today, knowing that we are dealing 
with the spirit of Antichrist, not only outside of the church and the world, but especially inside the church, as we spoke this past weekend, of false teaching, uh, teaching creeping into the church. But now, there are a number of names by which Antichrist is called in the scriptures, and certainly a number of ideas concerning his national origin. We're going to spend a little time with that, probably more next time than today. But in other words, you know, from where this Antichrist is going to come, where is he going to appear? So let's deal with his names first, okay? First of all, there is Antichrist. We've been talking about it. But remember, Antichrist is not mentioned in the book of Revelation. And it comes from uh, the Greek word Antichristus. Does anybody know what's going on? It is fireworks? It's fireworks? Maybe we should just all go out and just look at them. And, and then come back in and, and then finish our study. You know. Wow, that, that's pretty heavy. Okay. That's all right. But you know what? We're not distracted. We shall not be moved. <laughs> okay, so we have Antichrist. Two things. Antichristus means one who, is, who opposes or is against Christ. That's, that's pretty obvious from Antichrist. But in the language, the, the word for anti does not only mean opposed, but it also means to be, in other words, one who is instead of Christ, one who replaces Christ. And, and so it would be a pretender. So an Antichrist is not only one who is against Christ, but one who will pretend to be like Christ or like a Christ. And then there are two other words that we need to consider, two other names. The man of sin. He is called the man of sin. And he is called the son of perdition. And all of those two names there are actually found in one verse of Scripture. So it's 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 3. Now the Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, calls the Antichrist the man of sin and the son of perdition. Notice he says, let no man deceive you. Now remember, he is speaking to the church. The letter is written specifically to the church in Thessalonica, but he's speaking to all of us because it's in our canon of Scripture. And he says, let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come except there come a falling away first, an apostasia, an apostasy. And that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition. So he's called those two things here. As the, as the man of sin, he will be the living and active embodiment of every form and character of evil. I want to repeat that because I don't want you... You, know, you have to understand how powerful this being is. As the man of sin... He is going to be the living and active embodiment of every form and character of evil. Let it sink in. An acting and living embodiment of everything that is evil and every character that is evil. There will be no lengths of wickedness 
to which he will not go, and will be a stranger to no forms of evil. He'll know them all, and he'll exercise them all. Now, as the son of perdition, he will be the depth of lostness and the depth of human degeneration. He will be a true offspring of the dragon, of the serpent of old, the devil, and Satan. The son of lostness, that's what perdition means. The one who is and will always be lost. Remember that I said this was a term that was used for Judas Iscariot. That is quite a heavy thought. And I want you to think that Judas Iscariot was an apostle with Jesus for three and a half years. And he never was saved. There may be people in churches today that have been in church and done church activities and done church things for three and a half years, for 30 years, for 50 years, and have never come to know the love of Jesus Christ. They've known a lot of things, and they've done a lot of things. But when it comes down to it, it isn't about being, I mean, about doing, it's about being. Being in love with Christ, being in love with God's people, being in love with God's Word, being in love with the lost and seeking to see them come to Jesus. Being in love with the appearing of Jesus. Can't wait till he comes. But until he comes, I want to serve him. Can't wait. But I want to serve him. Jesus, Lord Jesus, come quickly. But until you do, Lord, keep us serving you. Some people will just perish. They've heard, they've seen, but they have not said, I believe Jesus and I want to live for him. The Antichrist becomes that depth of being lost. Excuse me, another name is the lawless one. He is called the lawless one in in 2 Thessalonians, so the next book over, where it says in verse 8 of 2 Thessalonians 2, And then the lawless one will be revealed whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. The lawless one. Now, in contrast to our Lord Jesus 
being the righteous one, the Antichrist will be the lawless one. You see the contrast. Jesus, the righteous one, the beast, the lawless one. While Jesus was born under the law, as we are told in Galatians 4 verse 4, the Antichrist will oppose all law, being a law unto himself. Listen, there's only going to be one law when Antichrist comes. It'll be his law. He follows no law himself, but he establishes a law that says, you will now bow down to me, and if you don't bow down to me, you're gone. Consider the contrast in this way. When the Savior entered the world, when Jesus entered into the world, He would say, as it is recorded in Hebrews 10 verse 9, that Jesus would say, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God. As the obedient Son, He has come to do the will of the Father. And, and then, uh, but uh, of Antichrist, this is what is written of Him in Daniel chapter 11 verse 36. Then the king shall do according to his own will. That's speaking of Antichrist. The king shall do his own will. Or he shall do according to his own will. He shall exalt and magnify himself above every god. Shall speak blasphemies against the god of gods. And shall prosper till the wrath has been accomplished. For what has been determined shall be done. He's going to do according to his own will. He's not going to do what the word of God says. He's not going to do what any law has to say. Because he is a lawless creature. And I can only tell you this, that we're just actually just scratching the surface of the names that pertain to Antichrist. Today I found, I think it's 26 names that refer to Antichrist. But I I can't do that in 10 minutes. But we will come back to some of those, as I said, the Assyrian, the king of Babylon, and so on. I'll mention that in just a moment. So, so next time we're going to deal with those names that help us to know the region from which he will come upon the world scene. But just to give you that hint again, here are a few more of the names. The Assyrian, right? The king of Babylon, Assyria, Babylon, the same region. You know where that region is today, right? Iraq. Mostly Iran, Afghanistan, that, that, you know, those, those particular areas. Uh, the Prince of Tyre. He's going to be called the Prince of Tyre. Where's Tyre? Actually, Tyre is right on the Mediterranean coast. That is where the Philistines actually came and settled in. The Phoenicians that became the Philistines and so on. But he's going to be called the Prince of Tyre. The Antichrist will even be referred to as the Pharaoh of Egypt. Now, what I'd like for you to observe is that these names all come from a very similar area or region of the world. It is in close proximity to the Mediterranean Sea. This is a major hint for us. When it comes to who this Antichrist is and from where he originates. 
So it brings us to verse 1 of our text, which we are just not going to have time to go through because verse 1 is very, very rich, I should say, in, 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 in information here. It says, Then I stood on the sand of the sea, and I saw a beast rising up out of the sea, having seven heads and, and ten horns, and on his horns ten crowns, and on his heads a blasphemous name. Now, I mentioned that there's this discrepancy in translations uh, the King James and the New King James mention that I stood referring then to John saying that he stood on the sea or on the sand I should say of the sea which would refer to the seashore but there is a single letter discrepancy between the original manuscripts the manuscripts that were used for the King James, New King James and a couple of other translations as well, and, and, and the manuscripts that were used for some of the modern translations today. But uh, while most other translations actually pr- use the pronoun he, that's referring actually to the dragon. So contextually, contextually, in other words, dealing with context, it makes more sense actually to have the text read he in regards to the dragon standing on the sand of the sea, primarily because of the previous image that we had in chapter 12. So now I want you to connect verse 17 of chapter 12 to verse 1. So let's go back one verse. Because in Revelation 12 verse 17 it says, And the dragon was enraged with a woman. Who's the woman? Israel. And he went to make war with the rest of her offspring who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. In other words, Jews that have received Jesus and others. So with that in mind, we move right into that first verse. Then I stood on the sand of the sea. Now why would John have to mention himself on the sand of the sea? He is going to, he's been describing things already. So based on the context there is this understanding to note and by the way we also need to realize that that there were no chapter verse divisions written in the original manuscripts there was no chapter and verse no numbers you know to tell us that was all done for us to easily uh, read through the scriptures but the position of the dragon in verse 1 forms the connection between the war in heaven which was the previous chapter and the war that is about to break forth upon the earth with great fury. So, that, um, that is why I, I, I want us to at least consider that this is probably a, a better thought, that the dragon is the one on the, standing on the sea, because he's been cast to the earth now. So the sand of the sea symbolizes in a general sense an innumerable company, Remember that Abraham had been told that he was going to have descendants that would number as the sand of the sea, which you cannot number. So there's a a connection there, uh, uh, the consistency of Scripture. And, And in a more specific sense, the restlessness of the nations of the earth is described in the sand of the sea. Uh, But even more specifically, even more specifically, the nations surrounding the Mediterranean Sea. 
For this was the only sea that John was aware of. It was the only sea that he knew. And of course, he's getting the vision. And I know that we covered this in, in time past where he had, he had seen, you know, the sea. And the sea just speaks of, of, of numbers of people. So there's a, a general view and a specific view and an even more specific view. But uh, there's also this sense, and I mentioned it already, of restlessness that is affixed to the symbol of the sea as pictured. For example, in Isaiah 57, verses 20 and 21. So very quickly, we're going to go to Isaiah 57, verse 20. And I want you to notice what it says. It says, but the wicked are like the troubled sea. The wicked are like the troubled sea when it cannot rest, whose waters cast up mire and dirt. And this is another good indication that the one standing on the sand of the sea is, is the enemy, is, is, is the dragon. Because remember now, the church is out, the restrainer, the Holy Spirit in the church, in, in essence, the power of the Holy Spirit in the body of Christ has been taken out already. And so all is, is prepared for judgment. And what we've been seeing as we've been studying the early part of the seven-year tribulation period and the middle part of the seven-year tribulation period is that there is no peace. Everything is chaotic. Everything is restless. Verse 21 of Isaiah 57 says, There is no peace, says my God, for the wicked. And that is what we see on this earth. John is still in the position where God has had him to see all of this. He's, he's receiving the vision. It's the dragon that's on this earth. So it is out of this sea from which the Antichrist will come. And we can only say that the sand of the sea indicates Satan's position as the usurper of the earth and of his power over its people. Hence, he stands upon the earth about to pre, uh, proceed in his final struggle for supremacy. Remember we said that he is crazy. Satan is insane. And he's not giving up, even though he needs to realize he's defeated. And he's going to continue his struggle for supremacy, for that throne, for that worship. Well, we're going to stop here. And we're going to pick up with the exposition of chapter uh, 13 next time. A little bit more. We'll, we'll get into more in more detail. So, we've been talking a lot about the Antichrist and Satan. So I just want to leave you with a neat picture in your mind and in your heart. One of those great word pictures. Because we need to come back to the one who is in control of all things. And being that we've been in Isaiah quite a bit, let's just go to Isaiah 9 verse 6. We're just going to look at this and just be encouraged. For unto us a child is born. And unto us a son is given. And the government will be upon his shoulder... And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. That's who we serve. That's who loves us. That's who we love. And I hope and pray that you do love Jesus. And you don't let anything get in the way of your love for Jesus. 
That you don't, get in, that don't let anything get in the way of your service to the Lord. Don't let anything in this world get in the way. Don't let the deceptions of the enemy get in the way of letting you be blessed by God's love and grace and, 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 and presence with you. And, and, and those temptations are going to come. But greater is he that is in you than he that is in this world. Greater is he, greater is Jesus than he that's in this world. And, and you've got to look at the cross and realize that when you look at the empty cross, Jesus went to that cross in your place and in my place. Never stop thanking him for it. Never stop giving him praise for that. Love Jesus with all your heart. Amen? All right. We are on time. We sh now we can go and look at the fireworks. All right, let's pray. <laughs>